Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Everyday Church. We are a body of believers in Oklahoma City with the mission to live out our faith on a daily basis. Let's listen in as we hear a powerful message from God's Word. Last week, we started this series, Make Space, and to start off the series, I brought up one of my favorite bands, and I mentioned that band. Now, for those of you who are here, you remember, what was that band that I mentioned? 21 Pilots, okay? All the kids, the youngins remember what I said. Now, I brought them up last week. I'm going to bring up one of my favorite rappers. Yes, there's uh, the genre of hip-hop and rap that I like. Since we're kind of on this kick, I don't know what I'll, who I'll bring up next week, but we did 21 Pilots, so I'm going to do NF today. NF is uh, one of my favorites, not my favorite rapper of all time, but he's up there, and he and 21 Pilots are very similar, and they have similar fan bases, and a lot of them cross over uh, because there's some similar s- subjects that they talk about, whether that's anxiety or whether that's depression or just deep thoughts in general. Some of their topics are, are in the same vein. And so I like NF for a multitude of reasons, but one of his songs is called Returns. And the first line of that song uh, really sticks out to me. So I'm going to throw it up on the screen here. And uh, this is from his song, Returns. It starts off with this lyric right here. What is perfect, not me. I don't know why that resonates with me, but it does. Okay, what is perfect, not me. I've been overworking for weeks. I go home, then purchase some things that I know will not fill my needs. Now that bar right there, okay, that line of that song really sticks out to me because it reminds me of my wife, because she, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It, it probably resonates with all of us because I think we've all probably purchased something that we knew wasn't ultimately what we needed to do. Have you ever talked yourself into purchasing something that you didn't really need, but you did it anyway? Whether that was maybe a reward, okay? You thought, man, I've worked really hard, or it's your treat yourself type of moment, you're gonna treat yourself. And so you're gonna get something because you feel like you deserve it. It's treat, <laughs> treat yourself 2020 or whatever. And so you purchase something to, uh, because yeah, yeah, I deserve this. Or maybe it's because you saw something and you had envy. You envied what someone else had. You thought, man, that's really cool. I think I'm gonna get me one. Or maybe, just maybe, it, it it was in a, in a. It was more out of a moment of that lyric where you thought, if I purchase this, it's going to give me joy. Maybe it was because you were sad about some sort of state our world is in or you're in, and you went to Amazon or, or you went to the store and you actually bought something because you thought it would bring you happiness. Now we all know that that happiness is short. Now it can bring joy for a, a quick moment. But we all get it, okay? We've lived long enough to know that that moment can fade. There's a reason that there's a term called buyer's remorse, right? That we can purchase something, we think it's gonna be all that, and then ultimately, like, no, that joy was fleeting. My kids, I see this with them sometimes, they'll save up their money, and uh, like, man, good job. We, we love that we're teaching you how to save and, and to use that money wisely, and then they're like, let's go use this money that I'm saving for a fidget spinner. <laughs> like, listen, <laughs> What? You've saved up your money. Oh, I'm going to use this thing forever. We got tons of them just sitting around, right? I don't know if y'all, I remember having that conversation with them. Like, this is a fad, okay? It's going to go away. No, this is the best toy ever. You know, like, ah. But we all can do that. We think there's going to be some sort of happiness that comes from some sort of object. But then that happiness goes away. The longer I've lived, the more I understand that joy from possessions is fleeting. 
Joy from possessions is fleeting. It quickly fades away. Now, it can be an easy fix. Buying something can be an easy fix, but it's not a sustainable cycle. Because once that joy passes, we, we blame the object and we just try to think of a different object. Well, it was the object's fault. And so let's move on to a different object because that will do the trick. And it's a nasty cycle of consumerism. And it can really dominate our lives if we let it. It can easily get a grip on our heart and control us if we allow it to. I told you last week, this is what Jesus said consumes non-believers, these thoughts. He says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your, your heavenly father already knows all your needs. See, if we let it, the pursuit of stuff can hurt us. It really can. It can hurt you. It can hurt me. It can hurt our careers. It can hurt our marriages. It can hurt our kids. It can hurt our hopes and dreams. It can even consume just our thought life. And, and thinking about material things become a distraction from the things that really matter. It will dominate our thought life to the point of distraction when we're no longer really thinking about the good stuff, the stuff that can make a difference, the stuff that really matters. It, it keeps us from being all that God called us to be and do because we're so consumed with stuff, with things. Jesus warns us in Matthew chapter 6, same chapter, verse 19. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and still store your treasures in heaven, where moth and rust cannot destroy. Thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Where you put your money, okay, where you spend it, where you're sending it, where are you letting it go, that's where your heart is going to be. That's where your passion is, your passion will follow. It's attached to your treasure. You know that. You start spending your money on something, that's where your heart is automatically going to go. And that's why we're in this series. We're called Make Space. It's all about discovering the keys to having more space in the financial arena of our lives so that we can live the lives God has called us to live. And we need space in that arena. And I think it's safe to say it's hard to make space if you're constantly bringing more into the room. Okay? When you're filling up the space with more stuff, it's hard to have space. And so one of the biggest ways we can make this type of space in our lives is to learn how to limit the pull of more. Learn how to limit the pull of more. And so last week, we talked about how God trusts us with resources. Okay, if you missed last week, go listen. Uh, YouTube, Facebook, all right? Go uh, to iTunes, download our podcast, okay? It's the message. Go back and listen. God trusts us with his resources. And he, he, he wants us to face our fears. He wants us to turn on the light to the fear of our finances. And then trust him as he's entrusted us with resources. He wants us to trust him with it. And then he wants us to be a good manager of what he's given us, a good steward. And to go to the word of God to, to know there is much wisdom in the scripture to help us be a good manager of the resources he's given us. Now today, we're going to dive into a, a, a different question. Do I need stuff to make me happy? We're going to look at this. Do I need stuff to make me happy? And how much stuff do I need? 
And how much stuff do I need? So if you have a Bible, let's go to Philippians chapter four, all right? This is a letter, we all say Paul a lot, but Paul actually had some co-writers in scripture. This is one that Timothy helped him with, and this is uh, to believers in a town called Philippi, all right? And I think it's important to note that Philippians, as Paul, uh, as we would say the main author of this letter, he's actually writing this from prison. And he's in jail for his faith, and you might not even know that because of what he says or what he writes. It's all about joy. And so I want to look at this specific passage. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. All right? When you're there, give me a look up. Like, hey, I swiped there. I'm good. Or I brought my copy of God's word. I've got it. All right. Or it'll be on the screen for you right now. Verse 10. How I praise the Lord, he writes them, that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need. For I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach, which I have one right now. Listen, my wife and I, our anniversaries this week, we celebrated and went to Mickey Mantle's. Like, we went over the top celebrating her anniversary. That's how much I love her. I spent money. And it's a big deal. And so she recognizes that too. But man, it was an incredible experience. Shout out Mickey Mantles. I'll take a gift card. All right. Whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, Paul and Timothy mentioned a word that our culture doesn't celebrate. <laughs> Content. And that's a word that isn't often highlighted in the American way. It's not a word that is prevalent in our country. And whether overtly or covertly, we are taught that our value alone comes from wealth. And that we should impress other people with our wealth. In fact, I would say early on, we're taught that, that life really is about survival of the fittest. And we always have to be climbing the ladder to be appreciated, to be successful, to have value. And so it's hard for us to grasp that our value might not come from what we earn or how much we work or, or how much stuff we have. See, when we read verses like this, we see that God values not the status of our lives, but the way we live. Paul says he's learned the secret of contentment. Contentment. It means you're satisfied. It's all good. Contentment isn't something you're really born with. Like, man, I'm content. I'm happy. I'm good. It's something, though, with God's help that can be learned. That's why he says, I've learned the secret of being content, of living with contentment. And it's good news that we can learn it because that means we can all learn to be content, too. Because not many of us are just naturally content. But we can learn it through the Spirit's help. So how do we learn to be content? In the financial arena of our lives, okay, there's three mental shifts that need to happen. That's what I want to unpack today. So have pen and paper, have a, a device, have a brain, whatever you want to do right now. Follow along with me. To be content in your finances, number one, refuse to trade self for stuff. Refuse it. Refuse to trade yourself, your soul for stuff. Refuse. Jesus once asked a very important question. When it comes to our relationship with stuff, he said in Mark 
chapter 8, verse 36. So what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? What good is it going to be? You got all the riches in the world, but you end up in hell. What good is it going to be if you got all the stuff in the world, but you're not happy with yourself? You don't know me. You don't know the real treasure of life. And of course, we've got certain needs that must be met. We all do. There's no doubt about it. But there is a point in accumulating wealth, accumulating possessions, where our happiness doesn't increase with it. There is a point where that happens. And actually, as we gain more, what we see is that the definition of a need changes. What used to be a want, okay, when we didn't have much is now a need. When you don't have much, a need is not, man, I really need to watch my favorite show. You don't have anything. And so a need is shelter and it's food. That's the need. But when you start getting more, it's like, man, I need to watch my favorite show. It's a need now. It's no longer a want. It becomes a need. And so that subscription or that service isn't a want anymore. It's a need because you have means. And we change the finish line or we change what a need is. Sometimes we even create needs in our lives because we're afraid we're going to let people down. Maybe it's a parent's or, or some sort of standard that they lived. And we think, man, we got we to gotta live to that standard. Maybe it's a spouse and, and the pressure like, well, I lived this one way. We better have this. There's some sort of pressure there. Uh, maybe it's just from friends, okay? But we, we are afraid of ridicule from our peers, and so we, we change what a need really is. So we see the neighbor across the street got a new lawnmower. You're like, what? Oh, man, he think, what's he think about me and my, my 15-year-old lawnmower? I bet I look like an idiot. I got to go get a new lawnmower. I need to go get a new lawnmower, Okay, now we've created a need that really wasn't a need. The lawnmower works just fine. It's maybe just not as pretty as the one across the street. And so we create these needs. Or maybe, uh, Izzy, listen to this one, okay? Maybe there's all kids in the neighborhood got Disney Plus. Oh, all the kids in the neighborhood got Disney Plus, Daddy. And so we need to get Disney Plus. We need to get Disney Plus. It's a need, not a want. Sorry, I had to give a little sermonette for my daughter. We can all be that way. Don't give in to envy and unhealthy ambition. Don't give in to envy. Don't give in to unhealthy ambition. Don't let money and possessions feel like a way to prove that you're winning in life. I'd love for you to write this down. As long as you confuse your self-worth with your net worth... You're always going to be chasing the next dollar. Leave that up there, Nick, for us today. Maybe we're going to take a screenshot. But as long as you confuse your self-worth with your net worth, you're going to always be chasing that next dollar. And it'll trap you. If your value as a person comes down to what's in your checking account or what's at your house or what's in your wallet or what type of wallet you have, you're never going to find your true value in Jesus. And your treasure is going to be about stuff and not him. I read this week that over half of the people living in America spend more than they make. Over half, and I, it's, I'm sure it's the same in this room, but as believers, we, we, we shouldn't be that statistic. That should not mirror our life, that we're chasing after stuff. Chasing material things is not good for you. 
I've read that work and finances are, the, are two of the leading causes of stress. And 75% of all doctor visits are because of stress-related conditions. It can, the, the, the stress of finances, the pursuit of money for happiness actually can do a lot of harm to you. It can also hurt your relationships. I've seen it time and time again, and stats prove this, that couples will often list a, a spending habits or finances as, as a leading reason for divorce. It can hurt you, it can hurt your finances. Okay, choosing to work so much and to not have time with our families or, or even to serve our community or to have communion with God is clearly not a wise way to live. That is not your best life now or ever. In fact, I would say it's a meaningless way to live. If you look at Ecclesiastes 4, I'll just put it on the screen for us now. Verse 4 of Ecclesiastes 4 says, Then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. See, keeping up with the Joneses has been around a long time. That phrase uh, really originates right here. People work and try to earn because they envy their neighbors, but this too is meaningless or vanity, like chasing the wind. You ever chase the wind? It's pretty futile. I've chased stuff blowing in the wind and been eerily frustrated. That's what it can be like, trying to keep up with the Joneses. Verse five, fools fold their idle hands, leading them to ruin. And yet, better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. Now listen, that's beautiful right there. Did you hear that? Let me, let's just read that one more time. Better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who is all alone without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. Now listen, it's a good thing to want to provide for your family. It's a good enough it's good to, to want to be a blessing to others, but there's a big difference between working and wearing yourself out with work. There's a big difference between the two. What motivates us to work and what priority we give work is what's critical. Okay, that's the critical part. What's motivating us to work and what priority are we giving work? That's the critical issue. God wants us to have equal measure of hard work and peace in our lives. We are, our work is going to be toil or laborsome. It is going to, to be work, but he also wants peace in our lives. And so if we find ourselves caught in the cycle of work to consume or to keep up or to be envious and where our paycheck never seems to go far enough, though, and let's just say the work never seems to end and you're, you're constantly working and you're a workaholic, you really need to pause Okay, and I want to put down these questions for us. We need to ask ourselves. When our, this will kind of bring light to where we are. Ask yourself, what is the most important thing or things in my life? In fact, I think, Nick, can we, we can show these all on the screen. Go to the next one. What is the most important things in my life? How is what I'm devoting my time to align with that? Okay? And do I find joy in what I'm doing and do my work and possessions bring me an equal measure of peace? 
What is the most important thing in my life? How's what I'm devoting my time to align with that? Did I, I find joy or do I find joy in what I'm doing? Do my work and possessions bring me equal measure of peace? If you find that you don't like some of the answers to those questions, it might mean it's time for a change. It's time for a change in your life. Now, not all of us can just up and quit tomorrow, but maybe we can think about what motivates us to go to work, to go to that job. We can try to prioritize, prioritize those things that are most important to our lives. And maybe that's doing less overtime and more in time with our family. Maybe it's volunteering more. Maybe it's just being intentional and making sure that we have time with Jesus. We need to prioritize our time, but we also need to prioritize what we earn, the money that comes from the job. And maybe that is canceling a, subscri a subscription that is purely a want so that your tithe actually is a need. Not to step on too many toes today, but what's more important? Are you faithful with tithing, a literal 10%, where that's the baseline? And maybe you're not there yet, but you sure got some wants that are needs. And yet you've made the tithe a want and not a need. Are you tracking with me what I'm saying? So you've made that negotiable, but not Disney Plus. Okay, I'm just using that as an example. I'm, listen, I ain't speaking out against Disney right now, okay? That's not the point. But the point is, what is your priority? See, I, I, I just think it's real convenient for us to, to bail on the giving to Jesus part so that we can do these other things. Even watch TV. We need to prioritize what we're earning and be faithful with our finances to the Lord. And so we have to refuse to trade ourselves for stuff. Now, the next idea really dovetails with this idea. The next shift in our thinking to be content is use money, don't chase it. Use money, don't chase it. Use it, don't chase it. Most of us have heard uh, uh, this verse before, but I think it's often misquoted. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. The Bible says that it's the love of money, not just money in and of itself, but it's the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. By itself, money is not a problem. God is not anti-money. He knows that having money to take care of our needs or the necessities of life and just being a blessing to us and to others, there's nothing wrong with making money. Money enables you to save more, to give more, to do more good in the world. But check this out. What God is concerned about is not us having money, but our money having us. That is on his heart. Okay? That is a part of his concern. It's not about us having money, but our money having us. He doesn't want us to fall in love with money. How I know that is what, again, Matthew 6, when he really talks about money, he says this, you can serve, no one, ooh, he didn't say you, because that would have been way off track here, because what he does say is no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God 
and be enslaved to money. He's saying, you got to pick one. Who's going to be the boss? Tony Danza or me? That's an old school reference for who's the boss. Anyone ever seen it? I think they're trying to reboot it. Y'all too young. Okay, so who is going to be the boss? Is it, is it going to be stuff, money, possessions, or is it going to be God? We can only have one boss. Now, if you listen closely, money's talking a good game to you. Money can, can, it has a great pitch. It's got a great sales pitch for you. It promises to fix your problems, bring peace. Money will promise, oh, security for you. And it's easy to start to think, hey, money can solve all your problems. Everything that troubles you in life, money can solve. Now, you know you've bought that life. You start saying things like, well, hey, when I get a raise, I can finally relax. Uh, you bought that lie that money is your solution. Or if you say, once I just get a little bit more money, once we, once we make a little bit more, then everything will be a-okay. You bought the lie that money can solve your problems. If you say, we, we, if we can just get over this hump, then we'll really start enjoying life again. No, <laughs> you bought the lie that money is selling you. Listen to me today. Money can't guarantee your happiness. Know it. Know it. Money cannot guarantee your happiness. And even though we are bombarded with ads and messages from everywhere else saying money solves all problems. If you have money, you'll be happy. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Because if it were true, the wealthiest of people would be the happiest of people. And that ain't happening in life, y'all. Money cannot guarantee your happiness. I've seen it time and time again of people with lots of means not happy. And so it can't guarantee your happiness. I've even been to Africa and seen people with very little with the best smiles and the most joy. Maybe a kid you might know, like Miguel, with a beautiful smile. Or maybe Phineas, happy as can be, but living in an orphanage with hardly anything. You tell me, well, they shouldn't be happy? Well, they don't have much. So they should be depressed and miserable? So are you telling me money always equates to happiness? Mm-mm. It doesn't. It doesn't. So don't live your life that way. Why are you living your life that way? You wouldn't say that. You would say, no, I saw those kids. They're good. They're happy. And you would believe everything I'm saying right now, but yet your pocketbook says differently. It says that you are depending upon money to make you happy. Think about it. Do you know someone in life that has a lot of money stuff, possessions, but they're not happy? I think we all do. More money can mean more problems. It's not an end-all, be-all. It ultimately doesn't bring peace. Now, it can be a false sense of peace. I'm not saying that there will never be peace for someone that has money and security. Yeah, it can bring it, but it can be a false sense because one illness, one accident, one economic downturn can quickly reverse that. Peace is ultimately something we're granted from God, not stuff. It comes from the Savior, not stuff. And any counterfeits that we achieve through money are going to be short-lived because we don't know what tomorrow brings. 
not talk about that it's not all bad, okay? But we got to grasp now that money is a means, not an end. It's not the end, meaning the, the goal of life. It's a means that we can use, so don't use money. Don't chase it. As the end be all of your happiness. Now, you can use it to bring happiness to yourself and to others, yes. But it's not the end. It's a means, not an end. And, and so we have to quit thinking it's some sort of silver bullet that's going to fix our woes. God doesn't want us to put more faith in money than in him. Somehow, we live in like that. We're putting our faith in the dollar instead of our Savior. We'll be disappointed in that way. Now, of course, he wants us to be good managers with what he gives us, but to use it for his glory. So, okay, don't trade yourself for stuff. Don't, don't use money or, or use money. Don't chase it. Use it. Don't chase it. And then the third, this is equally as important in being content. Enjoy what I have. Listen, I got to enjoy what I have. You got to enjoy what you have. If we're going to be content with our finances, we can enjoy it. And appreciation for what we already have is as important as controlling our desire to, to always have more. I think this ability to enjoy it is actually a gift that God wants to give us. In Ecclesiastes verse 5, we, we read some of this meaningless stuff. We'll look at Ecclesiastes verse five, verse, or chapter 5 verse 19. And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, this is indeed a gift from God. God wants you to enjoy what you have. He wouldn't give it to you to say, oh, be miserable with it. He wants you to enjoy it. We read in 1 Timothy about the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil or sin. 1 Timothy 6, 17, same chapter, verse 17 says, uh, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money which is so unreliable. Let's just pause there for a second. You know who the rich in the world is? You. We all have different incomes in this room. But if you got a roof over your head, you make more than a couple dollars a day, you're over the world average. You rich, yo. This Bible is not an American Bible or just uh, a suburb Bible. No, it's a global book. It's a global God. And so by world standards, we're pretty wealthy. No matter what spectrum you fall, maybe in the American category, you got a roof over your head, you got meals every day, you got running water, you got electricity, you rich. So let's read that with those glasses. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud. Don't be arrogant about it. Don't be boastful about it. Look at me. Not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. That's what we talked about. It's fickle. Okay, it can be good because we're going to see. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. So we can enjoy it. Enjoying what we have sounds pretty simple, but it can be surprisingly difficult. Because we might be too driven to achieve. And so we're thinking about the next thing. We don't even take time to enjoy what we have because we're already looking ahead to what we want to go get. Or maybe you're on the reverse of that and, and you feel so guilty because you've had your whole life and you feel like, I don't deserve this. And, and so you're not even happy with what you have and you don't appreciate the gifts that you've been given. Be kind of like buying a new outfit. And, and you think, 
oh, I'm, I can't wear this outfit because, ooh, the next outfit that I want is this outfit. And so I got to go get that outfit. And so you don't even wear the outfit that you got. Or you feel like, oh, this outfit's too nice. I don't want to go out in public with this outfit. I don't know what people are going to think. And I don't really deserve this outfit because, oh, it's so pretty. And I don't even want to get it dirty. And I don't want to wear it. And you end up not enjoying it. Wear the outfit. What's the purpose of it? To wear. It's an outfit. Right? You've handled it well. God has entrusted you with it. You're faithful in your finances to the glory of God, for the good of others. Enjoy the outfit. That's what it's for. Use it for its purpose. And so what, what would we say is the key to enjoy our lives now? Okay, to enjoy the wealth that he has given us. I think it comes down to one word, and that's gratitude. This is very important. Gratitude is such a powerful thing. Gratitude. Gratitude changes our hearts from wanting the next thing to focusing on what's right in front of us. When you're grateful, you're not looking ahead to what the next thing you want. You're right in the moment, thankful for what you have. See, gratitude has the power to drain out the negative energy from greed and to give us vitality and to give us joy for what's at hand. And I'm not talking about just a general feeling of thankfulness. I'm I'm talking about being very specific and intentional with your gratitude, where it's purposeful, where it's a choice. And it's something we really need to practice to be good at. Gratefulness, gratitude. You say, well, that sounds good. How do I apply that in the real world? First, ask God's help. God, would you please help me to enjoy everything in life? That's an okay prayer. God, help me. You've given this. Help me to hold it loosely and enjoy it while I have it. And then secondly, start to thank God for every good thing you have. If you've never thanked him, start with that. Thank him you woke up with today. Is he on our way here? Me and her praying. God, thank you you woke us up this morning. Maybe you like to journal. Start a journal of gratitude where one day, Every day you write down one thing that you're grateful for. Thankful you're able to get around. Thankful that you have food to eat. Thankful for the people in your life. Start your conversations with gratitude. With Man, this was something good today. I'm thankful for this. At the end of the day with your family, be specific. God, thank you for what you've done today. And as you do this more and more, your appreciation of all the things that are in your life will increase. Your appreciation will increase And if you focus on what God has already given you, it's going to make your heart more content. It'll make it more tranquil because there's peace in your life. God, thank you for what I have. I don't have to focus on all the stuff that's out there. Man, I've I've got it pretty good right now. So know today, God doesn't mind you having good stuff. He just doesn't want the good stuff to have you. You can have it as long as it doesn't have you. And so we are. We're instructed to work hard. We're to be good managers of what he's given us. But we need to balance that with contentment in our hearts. Knowing that whether we're well-fed or whether we're hungry, whether we've got plenty or whether we've got little, we can do all things through Christ. That's why Paul and Timothy were saying, I've learned to be content. I've been through it all. And what I've learned through it all is that Jesus is with me every step of the way. Whether the plate's full or it's not so full. He's with me. I'm content because he's the main thing. He's the main thing. Not the stuff, but the Savior is.
And so what I know about gratitude is that if you couple gratitude with moderation, you're going to find contentment. Because you're thankful. You, you live your life in moderation, not in excess, not in arrogance, but you're going to find contentment on that path. And then contentment will be the exit gate off the freeway of, of consumerism. Contentment will lead you past the always needing more. And you'll have joy with less than more. Because your focus is no longer on what you don't have. Your focus is on what you do have. Pray with me. Father, thank you for being such a good father. Thank you for giving us so very much for every gift that is present in our lives. Thank you for your provision. Please help us to learn how to enjoy all that you've given us. To enjoy it. To live in gratitude for it. Help us to live our lives in a spirit of thanksgiving. Our lives filled with enjoyment. And Father, please keep us from being driven by this unquenchable, or unquenchable and unreasonable desire for more. Help us not to buy into that lie or to get into that cycle of always needing more. Help us heal. Help us balance our souls. Help us not to forfeit, forfeit our very self for something lesser. Help us keep the main thing the main thing. Thank you for being a great provider. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. This is Pastor John. Thank you so much for listening to the Everyday Church Podcast. For more information on us or if you happen to make a spiritual decision during this message, please let us know and go to our website, www.everyday.church. There's an email link that you can click on and we would love to hear from you. If there's anything going on that has happened during this message, if the Lord has spoken to you or you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Also, if there's a prayer request or concern, then you can email us and we would love to take the time to pray for you and respond in any way that we can. Again, thank you so much for listening. God bless. Thank you.